Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Well, I don't know if you read in the paper the other day about uh, some of the hikers that got lost on Mount Blanca. Happens every year. It uh, happens every year. People get in trouble. As someone, I, I love being in the mountains. I, I love going here and there. And, and I've done some stupid things up in the hills. And uh, God's been gracious to me and uh, rescued me from certain, uh, from my own uh, foolishness. But these guys on June 27th, they went up on the mountain. They didn't take any water with them. They didn't take any clothing with them. They didn't take any shelter with them. They just really got in trouble. And uh, they called Alamosa Search and Rescue. And about a quarter mile, you know, they made it to about a quarter mile up near Lake Como there uh, when they called. And about six hours later, they, they were brought down safe. So we're, we're grateful for all those people around us, uh, the caregivers, the rescuers, those who, who deliver, those who go out of their way. Uh, the, the newspaper accounts said it was a very treacherous rescue because the rain was coming so, so hard down on the mountain there that that Lake Como Trail Road, it was just like a river, slick rock, and so it put a lot of people at risk. But uh, boy, that's just a small example. Every year people get up there and, uh, in different places in the woods and uh, then sometimes it's not just six hours, sometimes it's days, right? Sometimes multiple agencies get involved, helicopters and all kinds of planning and logistics, tens and tens of thousands of dollars to rescue and save and deliver. And uh, boy, I'm thankful for those who, but, but why do we do that? Why, why in our culture do we go that, to that expense and that trouble? I'm thankful as someone who's not very smart sometimes in the mountains, I'm thankful that there's an opportunity to call for help, right? Maybe you have been there and you've done that too, where you're just like, oh boy, only by the grace of God am I getting out of this. But why do we do that? Why, why, do we, why would we go and spend tens of thousands of dollars to rescue people and put other people at risk? I think it's part of our heritage. I think in, in America, there's just part of something in our DNA and in our, in our nation's history uh, that calls us to rescue, calls us to, live, to deliver, calls us to save, right? And I think it's part of our Christian heritage, how this country is built on a God who came to save, right? We, we, we have in our heritage this long lineage of, of, of uh, this, this story, this, this, this narrative, this truth, these histor historical accounts of, of God caring about people, of God making us in his image. And you start running down that path of, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 9 of being made in the image of God. Like creation was great in God's sight. Man, after day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, man, it's good. And then he gets to, to human beings. God says, oh, that's very good. Because humanity is the capstone of his creation. He, he loves people. People matter to God. People matter to God so greatly. I mean, even the, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. God puts people at the highest level of value, at the highest level of importance. He cares deeply. Why, why do we go after people trapped in mines or trapped in wells or, or auto accidents? Why do we spend all the, why, why do we take care of people in nursing homes? Why, why do we take care of handicapped people? This, this same principle of loving our neighbor, of taking care of the weak, taking care of those who are in trouble. 
and uh, some of the scriptures that were read on the stage already this morning about a great God and, and what we experienced in communion, about a great God coming to earth, coming and taking on a body, coming and taking on flesh to save sinners, to give his life away, to pay off our debt so we could be forgiven, so we could be received into heaven, accepted by God, made righteous through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. What, what an incredible thing that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mind-blowing. And so, and so any kind of, you know, we're, we're oftentimes, I know I am so selfish. So, oftentimes I'm so much about me, you know, uh, it, it's embarrassing, isn't it? Sometimes when we catch ourselves like, oh man, I'm, I don't have really, I'm not living a Christian worldview sometimes. I'm not living out my Christianity very well in this moment. We step back and, and, and we see so much good in our culture, so much good in our society, so much that's so right. And, and that, that, that instinct to rescue, that instinct to save, that, that desire to go out and, and reach and love and take care of people, it's a God-given thing. And in our nation's history, and the founding of this nation, it, again, as I said at the beginning of the service, haven't we, hit the, haven't we hit the lottery by being born in this country? Man, haven't, haven't we just, if, if you become a citizen, maybe you started in another country and you become a citizen in this country, man, you're so blessed to be part of a country that um, is built on the principles of the Word of God and, uh, and, and lives out certain values. And now, we haven't done it right all the time, of course. That's another sermon. <laughs> but man, this... this Rescue and save and deliver. But you, you, you realize that there's voices even today that have, uh, are, are telling a different story, are calling for a different way of living. Uh, you might call it utilitarianism. You might call it, uh, you know, I'm not getting the bang for my buck uh, kind of philosophy. But there's all kinds of voices today that said we, we, we shouldn't take care of people. We shouldn't watch over people that can't contribute anymore. Uh, there, there's, there's voices in our society that say, hey, you get handicapped, you, you have some kind of a disabling stroke, dis disabling stroke, you have some kind of an accident, you can't, you can't contribute to society anymore, society shouldn't pay your bills anymore. Or if you get elderly and you can't uh, pay in to the system anymore, you can't pull your weight anymore. There are people around here saying the elderly, we shouldn't spend tens of thousands of dollars on them subsidizing their lack of contribution. It's a scary world in some, some circles. Scary world in some circles, this utilitarianism, this, this uh, you have to earn your way kind of thing. It goes against our, our nature, goes, our, our Christian heritage, our, our national values. We always take care of the weak. We always protect those who are in need of protection. We try to. Now, sometimes we're blind issues. Sometimes we've been, you know, we, we miss certain issues. I mean, there's so much need in the world. But, man, the, the, the idea that we should not take care of those in need is just, it's, it's anathema to our, our cultural values. It, it's something that we just shouldn't stand for. Uh, the Bible goes in a, in a completely opposite way. I think I've already made my point to a degree, just, just so you, you hear what I have to say here about rescuing those in need. Uh, Psalm 82. Psalm 82. Verse 3. 
Uh, this is uh, just, just one verse throughout the Old Testament and moving into the New Testament. Uh, but this, this call to take care of those, rescue those who are in need. Uh, Psalm 82, verse 3. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. It, it, there, there isn't a lot of context here. Uh, you could look for it a little deeper, but it's, it's a general principle that, that is biblical. To rescue those who are weak. And, and in, in our country, we have this, this value, this understanding, this belief that no matter how rich you are or poor you are, no matter the color of your skin, no matter how old you are, young you are, that when you are weak or powerless, you should be rescued, should be taken care of, defended from the wicked and the evil and the greedy. Uh, we move into the New Testament. If you look at James chapter 1, James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that is pure, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, keep oneself unstained from the world. So real, real religion, when uh, James is all about the rubber hitting the road, James can't stand religion that just talk. James can't stand religion that just words. James looks for action. James says, hey, show me your faith by your action. And if you're not willing to take care of the widows and the orphans, what is your faith? Pretty, pretty strong words and pretty harsh words in some ears. I love people. <laughs> James would say, show it by your actions. What about those who are needy in your neighborhood? What about those who are needy and broken in your world? The widows, in, in the James day, the widows, there was no safety net. There was no social security for if you lost your husband. There was, there was no protection from the government. She relied upon her family or her extended network of friends and relatives. And the orphan... <laughs> The orphan was at a very uh, vulnerable place, uh, 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 prone to enslavement, prone to being used and abused in all sorts of matters. The orphans in the midst of the church were called to be rescued and delivered and taken care of. And so we, we, we come to this issue today, uh, we, it, this, this principle of rescuing. I, I'm so glad that the Alamos the Search and Rescue went up on the mountain and delivered those Texans. I'm so thankful that we live in a country where there are people who are willing to rescue and save and deliver those who are in need. I realize that I might be one of those people one day, not just on the mountain, but as I get older and I uh, become frail, my body gives out and maybe my mind gives out, that there'll be people around me who are watching over me and caring for me even to the end of my days. These, these kind of principles of rescuing and delivering and protecting and, and the value of human life, uh, we have been put in a position the last few weeks to really rethink about some things. And, and a, a focus has come in, in, something has come in the focus in our culture again. 
In case you have, haven't heard, there was a overturning of Roe v. Wade a few weeks ago. It is something that has been quite dramatic in our day, quite astounding. Even though we were given some advance warning that the Supreme Court would perhaps uh, bring out this, this, uh, this, uh, this ruling, we, uh, if, if you're like me, it's like, wow, I, I can't believe it. it's, it's happened. And so we come to this issue, and it's a contentious issue. And, and it's not a bumper theology issue. It's not a bumper sticker issue. It's a very difficult issue because it involves people and involves lives. Involves mothers and families and children and babies. And we need to talk about it. Uh, this, this is an incredibly difficult subject, of course, 50 years, almost 50 years of contention and division. And I guarantee you, but we have to talk about it because for the next few months and up until the 2024 election, it's going to dominate the news. And so if you've been agnostic about it, if you've been like, I don't want to talk about it, I don't want to hear about it, I don't want to discuss it, <laughs> good luck. Go on a desert island somewhere. Go up in the mountains without any Wi-Fi for the next two and a half years and see what happens. But we, living in this culture, living with people that we love, living in a community, we need to know where we stand on this. What is God's view of abortion? How should we as a people individually respond to this issue of abortion. As a church, what should we do about it? Should we do anything about it? Vastly important questions. So we have to discuss it. So uh, starting place and discussing this, man, I, I could, again, there could be multiple sermons on this and multiple hours, but we don't have that today. Let me start in a few specific places. Uh, what about a, the unborn's right to life? What are the different views on that? Some would say no, uh, no rights. The unborn have no rights because they're not people. Some would say no rights because they're not people. Some would say the unborn have some rights, especially as the pregnancy goes on. Honestly, uh, most people, I, I, when I say most, that's such a dangerous word. A lot of people in our culture, they, they do kind of remain agnostic uh, they, they don't know what to say. They don't know what to think about a baby less than three months in the womb, the first trimester. It's mysterious to a lot of people. Uh, some, some people say, yeah, that, that unborn has a right, especially in the second and third trimester, but the first trimester, I don't know. And, and a, lot, a lot of people would say, uh, the, the baby has rights, uh, but not trumping the mother's rights, especially in some of the hard cases of rape or incest or health issues that the mother might experience or uh, her life is in danger. So, so some people say no rights. Some people say, yeah, there's some rights there. I'm just not sure how far they go. And then others would say, yes, they have absolute right to life because that unborn in that womb is a person. So there's different, there's different views, and, and we need to decide on these things. Uh, another question arises, what about the rights of the mother to have an abortion? The rights of a pregnant woman to have abortion. Some, again, would say no, no, no right to abortion, because what is in her womb is a person. Others would say uh, not usually. I, I think a lot of people would say, 
We don't want to have abortion in our country as a means of birth control. That just turns our stomach that, that someone would use it as just a birth control method. But some would say, uh, yeah, she, she just shouldn't have a lot of rights, but what about those cases, those hard cases? What if she was raped and she got pregnant? What if there's the horrible idea of incest and that, that happening? We could put ourselves in, our, in her position. We just could, couldn't imagine maybe not following through or, 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 or not having an abortion. And so some people would say, yeah, boy, uh, we, we, that, that, that there's probably a baby in there. I'm agnostic. I'm not sure. But man, that, that, that woman's right. She should, she should have that right in those serious cases. In, in those serious cases, right, those hard cases, probably less than 5% of all abortions take place or even less than that, the hard, the hard cases. And so it's the vast majority aren't about these hard cases, but still people want to hold out the freedom, want to hold out the idea that they should be have the right to an abortion in case of the hard cases. And then there's those who say, they say, yeah, a woman should always have the right to an abortion. And the, the number one reason for that argument uh, that's put out there is that it's her body and she should be able to do what she wants with her body. Uh, the Roe v. Wade back in 73, a big part of the argument was the privacy rights of a woman. She had the, the right to do what she wanted to do privately with her body. And so those, those are the general parameters. Uh, there's, you could add more, right? For 50 years of this, this argument, there's so many more parts to this. But those, the rights of the unborn, the rights of the pregnant woman, how do, they, how do you deal with those things? Where, where do you stand in those things? And so our, our instinct as believers, our, our pattern that we've learned the thing that we come to again and again is, what does the Word of God say? What is our authority uh, in our emotions and our feelings and our experiences? The stories we've heard from women, the stories we've heard of very difficult situations, our hearts get moved, but what does the Word of God say? What is God's will in this matter? And the challenging part of this, to be completely transparent, to be completely open about it, is that the Bible does not directly speak to the matter. You'll look in vain for a verse on abortion. You'll look in vain for a, a verse on this matter because frankly over the 1500 years that the Bible, the books of the Bible were written, it wasn't something that had to be, be explicitly, explicitly explained. For in the cultures it was written to, in the places it was written to, abortion wasn't an issue. Everybody most people wanted pregnancies. The cultures of the day, it wasn't, rights weren't an issue that were being talked about. Pregnancy was something that was normal and, and good in most cultures. And, and it just didn't rise to the level where it had to be spoken of. It's in our cultures, uh, in the West, over the last 200 years, uh, that it's, it's really risen to something that becomes very important. There was infant, infanticide, you know, killing of babies back in the Roman era. When they didn't want babies, they'd lay them out to exposure and let them die. Those kind of things. Uh, I, I saw in California recently there was a, an attempt to pass a bill or it was brought to a committee saying that uh, babies uh, could be killed up until the 28th day after they've been born. Some of these things are, are, are they've always been around, these, these ideas of unwanted pregnancies, but the issue of abortion, it just... So we have to step back. We have to step back and we have to examine some of the principles involved to make our decision. Uh, we, we start with the principle of what, what I started with today, 
the sacredness of human life, the value of human life, the value that God puts on human life. And, and again, we, we have often misapplied these things to only certain peoples or, or certain groups of people. And to, in, in America, for instance, oftentimes uh, in the past, you know, African Americans have been looked at as less than, less than people. Maybe some of our indigenous people in our country have been treated as less than people. We, we start with the principle that all people, all people created, were created in the image of God. And so every person alive has value and worth. No matter the color of your skin, no matter old or young, male or female, however you want to lay those things out, every person has value. And of course, through countries and cultures around the world, that's been abused and misused, and it hasn't been applied uh, consistently. We as... Uh, we, we as uh, people, we start with the idea that every life is sacred. Every life is valuable. Right? And, the, and the second principle that goes along with that is every, every person should be protected. Every person, because it has worth, every person has worth and value, every person should be defended. Uh, again, there's, yeah, it's okay. Is that all right, Anna? Is it? Can, okay. <laughs> Where our, our live streams, we had some struggles today, so he's messing with it back there. Um, every person has value, every person, and so every person should be protected, cared about. Every person alive should be taken care of. Those two principles, they, they, they come together, and we have to come to the point of saying, uh, uh, however you want to say it. The question that has to be asked, so, if that baby is a person, and th therein lies the, the challenge, right, about abortion. Therein lies the, the issue that is such a contentious issue. When does that baby become an abort a person? When does that, see, see, if it's a person, no matter at what part of the pregnancy, Every life is sacred, and every life should be defended, and every life valued, and every life defended. But the struggle in our culture over the years has been defined for me when someone becomes a person. And so scientifically, there's been all kinds of attempts to establish personhood. Is it when the zygote is implanted on the uterine wall, and at some point it starts sending out hormones? Is that when a person starts? Is it, uh, you know, when the embryo's brain develops to the place, to the point it has brain waves and the brain is active? Is that when a person starts? Is it about sentience? Uh, the, is, the person, is, is it a person when it can feel pain? You know, is it a person when it can, when it can sense its place in the world, that, that sentient being? Is that, is that a person? Right. Is, is, is it a person? So these are, these are arguments. Is it, a, is it a person when it becomes viable, that it can live outside the womb? And the age of that has been dropping dramatically over the last few decades. It used to be 26 weeks, 24 weeks. Now there's babies being born much younger than that that are surviving out of the womb. When, when, does, a, a person become, when does a baby become a person? When is the unborn become a person? Those kind of questions on one side, trying to establish scientifically, and 
boy, we haven't come to that conclusion as a culture and as a, as a society on the scientific basis. But what, what we can see, if you start thinking about it, is that from the moment of conception, that baby is a human. Genetically, a human. Genetically different than the mother that's hosting that baby. Uh, from, from the very time of conception, that baby isn't part of the mother. It's attached to the mother all the way through the nine months. In some way it's attached, in some way it's hosted, but genetically it's always distinct from conception. Um, we, we struggle with some of those issues. I, I personally... I can't get away from those genetic arguments that it's a human right from conception. And so for me, the issue is really easy. It's a person. But, but then we look experientially at things. And uh, I remember uh, the first time uh, Elizabeth was pregnant and we, we heard the heartbeat for the first time. The phenomenal argument of experiences that, that we have with our babies in wombs. You know, I think it was 10 weeks when I first heard Will's heartbeat. And then I heard Katie's heartbeat. And then I heard Mandy's heartbeat. And what a beautiful moment. I just remember the first time, tears running down my face. You know, that, that experiential moment. That first time I saw the, the kid kicking against the, the mother's stomach. One of my kids always had hiccups while she was in the womb. These kind of experiences are hard to, for me to say, it's not a baby, it's not a child. And biblically, we have to say, of course, again, the idea that, man, uh, you, you can't find a, a verse that speaks directly about abortion. But we can come to the p position of saying, yeah, we can establish perhaps the personhood through some verses. So if you look at Job chapter 3, Job chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 3, please. Job, of course, in this situation, he's lamenting his life because he's lost everything and his health is gone and he's, he's frustrated that, uh, at what's happened and he just, he, he's, he's, he's hurting. And he says, verse 3, chapter 3, Let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that, I, that said, a man is conceived. And you look at that verse and at first you're like, well, I don't see much there, but... He's saying, if you, if you notice it, it's the same man that was conceived that was born. He sees himself in continuity, regardless of his developmental stage or state. The same person is there that was conceived that was born. Uh, you can look at different places. Um, I don't have time. to. I, I just wrote down a few references here. Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. Verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, so uh, God is talking to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Uh, so here we have this idea of relationship while still in the room, womb that, that God knew Jeremiah. 
It wasn't a point where, where suddenly Jeremiah was born and God's like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. God knew Jeremiah from before he was born and while he was in the womb, it was the same person. If you're taking notes, you can write down Isaiah 49.1. Uh, probably my, the verse that sticks out to me the most is, is Luke chapter, chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Uh, this is, this is uh, Mary and Elizabeth, the story of their amazing pregnancies, their amazing conceptions. And uh, chapter 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary rose. Right? When, what, what was the setting? Well, she just had been told she would be made pregnant by the Holy Spirit. An amazing miracle. In those days, Mary arose and went in haste into the hill country, into the town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Remember, Elizabeth was made pregnant in her old age. Her husband didn't think it was possible, but they, they lay together and she became pregnant. Just an amazing miracle. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now, there's, there's quite a few things there, but, uh, you know, uh, John the Baptist is, is in her womb, and there's some, there's some consciousness there, there's some awareness there going on, and uh, by God's grace, by God's power. But, but the, the issue here is talking about Jesus. Jesus as an embryo was Lord. There's a recognition on Mary and a recognition on John the Baptist's part that the, the little peanut in Mary's womb, I mean, it's at the earliest stages of development. Uh, Mary's in her first trimester, and at that point, Jesus is still Lord. There's a continuity of life there. There's a continuity from the beginning of conception. There's a person there. And it matters that it's a person. So I, I, there's, there's a number of things that add up in my mind scientifically, phenomenally, and experience, you know, experientially, and biblically that I just can't really get away from the idea that this is a person. Now that those principles, life is sacred, life should be defended. If it's not a person, well, it's not a person. But it seems to me that it is a person. It's not just a clump of cells. It's not just... Uh, a wart that can be removed. It's not something that's a simple surgery. There is a person in a womb from the earliest of times from conception. And it seems to me that the logical responsibility for us is to defend life and protect life because the life that God has placed in that womb matters to God. Made in the image of God and the likeness of God, it is a person. What does it mean that it's a person? Well, here's where we get into right and wrong. Here's the ethical realities that we're facing and we're struggling with. Here's what God says about taking care of people. You turn to the sixth commandment, Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13, uh, chapter 20, verse 13, I'm sorry. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. 
you shall not murder. Uh, the King James Version, most of the modern versions say you shall not murder. Uh, the King James Version says you shall not kill. I think that's probably not the best translation there uh, because there is lawful killing. Uh, the, the wider term is killing, the more narrow term is murder. For instance, in our society, uh, there is lawful killing. Uh, soldiers in the military, at time of war, they are authorized to kill. They have the responsibility to defend and protect, and they're authorized to kill. Officers of the peace in our community, under certain, under certain uh, standards and certain policies and certain regulations, they are authorized to take life, to protect and defend. As homeowners, we have the, we have the opportunity, uh, not the opportunity, we, we have the... the uh, the right to take life in self-defense. Sometimes it varies from county to county or state to state, uh, but we have the right to protect our family and take a life in self-defense. So there's, there's killing that's authorized, but murder is the taking of an innocent life, unlawfully taking of an innocent life. And there's different standards. There's manslaughter. There's first degree, second degree, murder, et cetera, et cetera, all the different uh, policies there. In our, in, our, in our statutes there. But murder is the unlawful taking of a life. And it seems to me that there, I, I can't leave this, this position, I can't leave this, this stance, I can't leave this, this place that's so hard to, to even hear myself say. But to take a, a, a baby in a womb and end its life seems to be the unlawful taking of an innocent life. And so the, the, the first kind of outcome of this, the first big idea, is that we should not abort babies because it's wrong. Uh, men, you shouldn't encourage your girlfriend to get an abortion. Men, you shouldn't encourage uh, the, the, the woman that you've impregnated to get an abortion. That would be wrong. Women, you shouldn't seek an abortion. That would be wrong because it's taking of a life, an innocent life. Now, uh, some of the debates r r remain, uh, some of the ethical issues, what if her life is at stake? And I think uh, seeking the, the last few weeks as, we've, as we looked at some of the state, state laws, some of those trigger laws that went into effect, many of those states, it seems to me, as I have understood it, is that some of those states' regulations, they, they allow abortion in, in case the woman's life is in danger. And those, there's, that's up for debate. Um, but uh, th this principle is, 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 is real. Thou shall not murder. It's old people, young people. You don't take an innocent life. It's wrong in God's sight, always. So I, I do need to give you some hope, ladies. If you've had an abortion, is that an unforgivable sin? Is that something that is an evil that you can never get over? No. There is hope. Every sin can be forgiven. I praise God for that. All the sins I've committed, all the things I've done wrong, it's only by the grace of God that I've been saved. It's only by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that I've been forgiven. It's the same for you. It's not an unforgivable sin. Man, how many people have I murdered in my mind by being angry at them? How many people have I destroyed in my thinking that God's forgiven me of. So certainly, you can be forgiven too.
Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin and trust in Him. You will be forgiven. There's hope. God forgives. Every sin, past, present, and future, it all comes under the shed blood of Jesus Christ when you repent and trust in Him. The second idea is, okay, so uh, we really as a church need to stand against abortion in, in the sense of we shouldn't, Christian women, make a, up a sizable position, a sizable portion of those who get abortions every year. Now, I don't, I don't know how to break it down denominationally, but every year Christian women get abortions. And so women get abortions because oftentimes of the fear involved, the fear of, of their husband, the fear of their boyfriend rejecting them. The fear of losing vocation, the fear of losing health, the fear of the unknown, the fear of being poor, the fear of this or the fear of that. It's a great amount of fear involved, no doubt about it. At the end of the day, if it's a person, we must stand against abortion. The second big idea I want to get across is this idea of, well, if my family is not involved in that, if, if I am not getting pregnant as a woman, if, if, if my girlfriend, my, my wife isn't getting pregnant, maybe I should just stay out of it. Maybe I should just ignore the issue. When we step back and we say, life matters to God. Life is sacred. Life should be de defended. Life should be protected because of the value of a human person. We, we, we come to another principle. We come to another application of this truth, of or this, this stance that we should take. If you look at Proverbs chapter 24, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11, start in verse 10. Proverbs 24, verse 10, and again, there's not a context to this. This is a general principle in Proverbs, a way of looking at life, a way of behaving in life, a way of acting as a community of individuals and a corporate community as a people of God. If you faint on the day of adversity, verse 10, your strength is small. So, man, tough issues. If you give up on those hard issues, your strength is small. It's, it's kind of a rebuke. Verse 11, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we do not know this, and does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? Will he not repay man according to his work? There's kind of two ideas. In verse 11, the, the strong command for us to rescue those who are in danger. You know, that, that principle of why do we go for those people on the mountain? Why, why do we t spend tens of thousands of dollars? Why do we put lives at risk? Because that's what we're called to do. Is to take care of people. People matter. People are valuable to God. And so we, we put ourselves out there for people. Always should. So uh, when it comes to those who are in need, those who are being taken to death, we as individuals need to do something about it. We as individuals, we as a church need to have a stance in this matter. We, we, we shouldn't support abortion, but beyond that, what's, what's the, what's our, do we just sit back and, I don't see no evil, I don't hear no evil, I don't want to know about any evil. I just stick my head in the sand. No. If lives are being taken 
And, and again, that, that, that principle, is, is it a person, is that idea, if it's a person, I've come to the conclusion it's a person. And so as soon as I come to the conclusion it's a person, that engages my responsibility as a man of God. It engages my responsibility as a human being under the reign of God. It calls me to make a decision about how I'm going to live. And in this, this idea, it calls me to protect. It calls me to defend. It calls me to act. If I say that I care for people and I see them being slaughtered, if I see them being destroyed, if I see them being taken away again and again and again, and I do nothing, what is my faith? What is my truth? Is it a principle that I'm living on? If not, it's not something worth having. So we go to defend the unborn. We make decisions to defend those who are needy and who are being killed. We understand the, the, the position of, of, of women. We understand the position of families. We understand the stresses of cost and fears of being poor and all these things. Yeah, we can put ourselves in their shoes. But we have to stand against abortion. We have to make the decision to fight against abortion. We have to make the decision to say no to abortion. It says in verse 12 here, um, if we say to God, oh, behold, I, I don't know about this. I don't understand this. I don't get it. I, God will say, well, really, um, I think I looked at your heart. I, I think you knew the issues. And he'll hold us accountable for not being bold and not seeking the welfare of others. And so what should we do? Uh, we should stand... Against abortion is, is this, this second principle. We shouldn't seek abortion. We, we shouldn't participate in abortion. And beyond that, we should stand against abortion. And these principles of life is sacred. Life should be protected. Where does that leave us? Well, that leaves us into the third idea. We have to actively love people. We, and, and love. This is love. Giving your life away for another. What is love? It's not a, this emotion, this romance that we have sometimes. Love is giving our life away, seeking the benefit of another. And so where does that leave us? We have to love pregnant moms. We have to, if we, if we, if we go down this road of saying no to abortion and we have to stop abortion, if we go to the polling booths and we vote against abortion, if we, if, we, if we go and we vote for candidates that say no to abortion, boy, we better follow through. We better love the moms who get pregnant who can't have an abortion. We better seek their welfare. We better put ourselves as individuals and as a church out there to take care of them. In their fear and their anxiety and their, their worries. If their boyfriends kick them out of the house, we better be there for them. If their husbands kick them out of the house, we better be there for them. If they can't afford to pay rent, we better pay their rent. More than just buying diapers. Let's put some skin in the game. 
We can't say one thing. Yeah, no abortions. You can't do that. And then, okay, have a great day. I, I think there's actually a, a verse uh, on that in James. Uh, James um, chapter 2, verse 14. And it's not up on the screen. But what good is it, my brothers? James chapter 2, verse, verse 14. If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? So he's talking about a real faith. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? We say, man, we, we, should, we need to allow abortion, and, and we, we, women can't have abortions, then we better get in line to help her out. So we need to love pregnant moms, and we love, need to love moms with babies. Even if it costs us some of our discretionary income. Even if it costs us from being to able to go on vacations. Even if it costs me the ability to go hiking in the mountains because I'm taking care of some gal who's not part of my family and her baby. If we go down this road of standing on these principles, then God expects us to love the people who are not just theoretical people, not just statistics. God expects us to love that woman and her child, even to the point of personal great cost, in the name of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, where are you on this matter? Again, this is going to be an issue that's going to be part of our culture every single day through 2024. To those November elections in 2024, you're going to hear it every day. Where are you standing on this issue? Make up your mind. Decide for yourself based on these ideas and these principles and these teachings upon God's call for us to love our neighbor. May God bless you in this. And may we as a church come up with a consensus. May we as a church come up with opinion. May we as a church find our niche in this matter. For years and years, we've supported the Women's Resource Center. For years and years, we, now it's the SLV Life Center. Man, I've walked through those places. I've seen so much clothes over there, so many baby strollers, so many things that are just waiting to give out, and they just sit there. Maybe in our culture in this day, in our time, maybe we need to change our tact. Maybe we need to find a new vehicle for loving women, loving babies. Maybe there's a new something that arises that our church takes hold of. And we're going to love in Jesus' name in this particular way. I'm open for suggestions. If we're going to say that we are this kind of a church and these kind of a people that believe these kind of values, let's get our life in to people's lives and love them in Jesus' name. Please stand in the Lord's presence. Heavenly Father, we, we love you. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for making us, creating us in your image. Lord, we worship you today through the service, we, all those scriptures and all those songs. Man, we're just so grateful that you, what is man that you're mindful of him? What is the son of man that you care for him? Why would you care about us? Why would you love us? But you do. And Jesus, we thank you for coming and rescuing us, purchasing our pardon with your blood. Man, Lord, uh, may, may we have that same heart for people. 
May we have that same desire to serve people and love people and protect people, defend people, rescue people. Lord, show us what it means. Lord, this week as we come across people's paths, show us what it means to live by those principles and those values, your values, your principles. May we be your church. May we be your people, Lord, in this very difficult issue and the other issues our culture is facing as well. May we honor you and glorify you and walk in your ways no matter what it takes. Send us now, Lord, in love and grace and peace. Lord, and I also pray a special prayer today for those who have gone down this path and are suffering or are hurting. Bless them, heal them, deliver them, give them hope, Lord. Thank you for your grace, your amazing grace and your love towards all of us. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God, by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.